hear myself. That's good. Okay, so um, as Justin said, we're going to continue our series in Acts, um, colon, the church as it should be. Okay, so if you're happy, but I haven't brought any slides today, so I'm, you know, I'm doing it old school. Nothing like the old school. And so if you have your Bibles, it's, um, you could have it in book form. I, it, look, I'm so old school, I decided to bring my book Bible and not use my phone. Um, but I sort of, no, I haven't read this, this particular Bible for a while, so I'm going to use this Bible today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 6, we begin the new chapter. Um, we're only going to read the first seven verses. And it, you might find it's got a subtitle called Seven Chosen or something like that to serve. And um, I shall read it and then we shall pray. I'm going to read from the NRSV because I guess it's the version I'm, I'm quite used to. But you, you can follow with whatever version you, you have. Okay, Acts chapter 6. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because of their widows were being neglected in their daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint to this task. While we are our part, we devote ourselves to prayer and serving the word. And what they said pleased the whole community. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paminus, and Nicholas, a, a um, proselyte of Antioch. And these men stand before the apostles. These men have stand before the apostles, who prayed and lay hands on them. Then the word of God continued to spread, and the number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and many, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the scriptures. God, will you speak to us? Corporately as a church, we speak to us individually. May you challenge us. May you cause us to grow um, and, 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 and become more of the kind of church you want us to be. The church as it should be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when I was going to look at this text, I, to be honest, my first thought was great. This is quite a straightforward text. It's about caring for the poor, and it's about, I don't know, perhaps the beginning of this, the kind of the new church office of deacons. You know, quite often people look at this text as this is the beginning of deacons in the church. And so I thought, great, it's a nice simple text, only seven verses, bish, bash, bosh. Nice one, easy, job done. Ken next week, brilliant. Um, but as I began to delve into the text more deeply, it became apparent that actually there's a lot more going on in this text than what originally meets the eye. So, you know, this it is about the poor, but actually there's a deeper theme running beneath this. And that theme is the theme of diversity. And the kind of challenge churches face quite often when trying to become a diverse church. So, in the text, you basically have two kinds of Christians, Jewish Christians. Okay? You have the Hellenist Jewish Christians, and they spoke Greek. 
And you have the Hebrew Jewish Christians, they spoke Aramaic. Got it? Simple. Okay. Two groups of Christians. The Hellenists, the Greek speaking Jewish Christians, complaining against the Hebrew Jewish Christians because their widows are being neglected. Now, the word widow is like a catch all word. Okay? It, it, it means more than simply widows, it means basically all of those within the community that are struggling or you know, are struggling financially or down. Um, so basically, all the needy. So basically, what they're saying is, you look after your own needy, all those who have needs within your, your own community, but all of our Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, you can't neglect those guys. You know, you, you protect your own. You love your own. You don't love us. There's, 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 there's a kind of partiality going on within the church. Now, this subject is something that's quite close to my heart, personally. Um, you know, in, in, in recent months, I've, I've become to, uh, I began to aware, become aware that churches that say that they are diverse often not as diverse as they think they are. Um, I, in fact, I said this to um, a couple of the other elders a few weeks ago, but I, I've been looking at lots of church websites over the last six months. There's dozens of them. I've seen loads. And I, and I came to two conclusions. The first conclusion is that most church websites are, are rubbish. <laughs> they're not they're awful. Some of them are absolutely awful. There's one particular one. It was, it was just miserable. You know, I mean, you know, I was tempted to deconvert. It was so it was so miserable. Such an you know, it was like advert to not become a Christian. Um, but that's the first. That's the first thing I learned from looking at all these websites. The second thing I've learned is actually most church websites are advertising to themselves. They're reaching out to themselves. They're reaching out to other Christians. You know, the, the language they use, what they say about themselves. It makes sense if, you're, if you are already a Christian, but if you're not a Christian, a lot of it just goes straight over your head. You know, there's one website that has all this stuff about the creeds, and I'm sort of thinking, if I wasn't a Christian, what would that mean to me? Nothing. I mean, the, the, only, the only creed non-Christians know about is Apollo Creed. You know, I mean, that's the only creed they would probably remember. The only creed that they would know is the Apollos, the boxer. You know, the, 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 you know the, our language, the, the, what we say, who we reach out to, is often to ourselves. Um, I used the phrase um, Fubu Christian. Now, Fubu was a clothing brand that was particularly big in the, in the late 90s and the early noughties. And it stands for For Us, By Us. Okay, and it was really, it was created by by a black design, black designers. And the idea was it was for black people, by black people. It was deliberately exclusive. It wasn't meant to be for everyone. It was meant to be just for us, right? And and famously, the, um, the comedian Ali G um, used to wear a Fubu outfit because he he was convinced he was black, so he he felt he qualified, and he used to wear this this bright yellow, quite ridiculous Fubu outfit. And that was kind of the joke. That was kind of the punchline. But the whole idea of the, of the clothing line was that it's meant to be exclusive. And, and I feel lots of churches have become quite exclusive. They don't realize it, but they have. Um, and it turns out that this problem, which I like to call fibroitis, this fibroitis problem is not a 21st century problem. It's, it's something that was, that, was, that was present even in the early church. Even in this text that we're reading, this, this idea of becoming a very, very um, exclusive, a very partial where some of the community benefits better than other parts of the community, where some of the community thrive better than other parts of the community. It's something that was present even in the early church. 
And that's what's going on here. The, the, there's two groups of Christians. The Hebrew Jewish Christians are, are getting all the benefits. They're getting all the perks. But the Greek-speaking Christians are getting some of the benefits. They're getting some of the perks. And I imagine this tension has been building for, for some time. And it's now hit boiling point. And this issue with the, the poor, the issue with the, it's, the, it's the kind of it's like the final um, straw that kind of breaks the camel back. It's the final thing that's just pushed it over the edge. And now, and now the kind of Greek Jewish Christians are fed up. Um, a few months ago, me and Rachel, we did a kind of a joint preach about hospitality. And, and I, I remember saying that there's like two um, types of, of emotion that kind of uh, makes it very difficult for us to be hospitable to others. Now, the first one I said was disgust, and the second one I said was contempt. But I want to add a third one, and the third one is almost a response to those previous two, and the third emotion is resentment. Okay? So the Hellenist Jewish Greek-speaking Christians have become resentful. They've become resentful because they're not getting the perks. The, 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 the members of the family, the members of the community that are in need are being neglected. And it's a serious problem. That's the point I want to make. This is a real problem. And the, and the apostles had to do something about it. So what did they do? Well, the Bible says that they, they called they call the church together. Um, and and, and, and they, did, they decided to choose some people, choose some men. Why? Because it's, they say it's not right for us to neglect the preaching of the gospel in order for us to wait on tables. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Years ago, when I used to look at this text, it used to really grind against me. Um, because the way, I, the way I used to read it, it sounds like the apostles are saying, you know, we are so mighty and we are so special when it comes to preaching the gospel that we can't possibly waste any time waiting on tables for these lowly peasants. You know, that's how it kind of sounded like. You know, it's like as if, if preaching the gospel is like the, the kind of platinum thing and, and caring for the poor was like, the, you know, it's like the, the kind of bronze thing down here. Preaching the gospel is like where the big, you know, the big rules turn and caring for the poor is where the tiny, the tiny rules turn. And I kind of thought that was kind of what's going on, that the, the apostles kind of got a bit too big for their boots um, until I realized that was not what's happening. That's not what's happening. Um, Two reasons I know that. First of all, um, I believe the apostles, A, they did care for the poor, and they understood that God cares for the poor. How do I know that I understand that, that God cares for the poor? Well, the Bible says. Do you know there's, what, 300 direct uses of the word poor and poverty in the Bible? It's quite a big number. Do you know there's over 2,000 references to God talking about poverty in the Bible? Over, over 2,000. They all say over 2,000. I think what happened was they started to count. They got to 2,000 and then gave up. They got the gist. You know, they got the message. Okay, 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 I got it, I got it. I understand. You care, God. You care about the poor. And so I believe, this is my hunch. It's a good one. My hunch is, is that these God-fearing, Bible-believing, tongue-speaking, sick-healing, street-preaching, apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ got the gist as well. That's, you know, I, I can't prove it, but I'm, I'm, you know, if I was a betting man, I, I, think I'm in, I think I'm in the winnings here. I'm, I'm, I'm highly confident that they got that. The second reason that I, I don't believe that the apostles were being too big for the boots is because actually this, uh, this message, this passage, is ultimately not about the poor. It's about the, the deeper theme running beneath it, and that is the, the diversity 
and the problem this church was struggling with diversity. And they had to do something about it. The apostles basically have three choices. Option A, do nothing. Do nada. Let it slide. You know, just forget about it. You know, it's a problem. Let, you know, let, just let bygones, just, just, let, just let the churches deal with their problems on their own. That was option A. And I'm glad they didn't choose that option. Option B is that they can roll their own sleeves up and throw their oars in and, and basically get involved themselves, commit all their energy and try and sort this out. Now, that might have done something, but because it's such a big issue, it would have consumed them. It would have consumed all their energy and all the other stuff, which was the preaching of the gospel, would have grounded to a halt. So that kind of leaves option C. And option C is to delegate. Now, scholars tend to disagree a little bit on what they mean by delegate. You know, what sort of delegation is going on here? Now, I said before, you know, many scholars sort of see this as a kind of beginnings of deacons in the Bible. Some, some scholars disagree. Um, there's a couple of main, main reasons. One I will mention a bit later. The other one is because um, the text explicitly doesn't say there were deacons. Um, it, it, so there might be deacons, but it doesn't say the words. So it's kind of like, well, at best we're kind of extrapolating that these seven are deacons. But so, so to be fair to all the scholars, what I'm, going to say, I'm just going to say they're delegated to leaders. Okay? They, they raised up these leaders. And that's, and, and that's actually the, the point, really. The point is, for a church to thrive, there needs to be delegation. You know, you can't have leaders do all the work. You know, for a church to thrive, for a church to exist, maybe the leaders can do all the work. For a church to thrive, which is beyond existing, you need others to take up some weight. You need others to take up some responsibility. Why? Because apostles have limits. Elders have limits. Steve, he has his limits. I have my limits. Justin has, we have our limits. Um, there's, there's some things we can do, and there's some things we can't do. There's, there's a certain distance we can go, and then after that, we stop. We need, we, as a church, together, though, when everyone takes responsibility, we can thrive. And, a, and, and so, so for me, I love this text, because there's a real sense of God teaching us the importance of delegation. You, know, you can't be a one-man show, or a ten-man show. We need a church. The church to take responsibility, the church to rise up, the, ch- the church to, 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 to all carry some of the weight of the responsibility of moving this, this thing forward. And so they, they delegated, they chose seven people. Actually, it's not completely true, was it? They didn't choose seven people. They asked the community to choose for themselves seven people. Um, the first time I read this, I actually missed that. I kind of just... I don't know, I can't, maybe I just skimmed read it, and I just, I just thought they chose seven people. Actually, they've got the community to choose for themselves. And I love that because, it, it, again, it kind of reinforces that this, is, this, is, you know, this issue of diversity is not a leadership problem. It's a church problem. It's a church-wide issue. It can't simply be solved by one leader or six leaders or ten leaders. The church has to come with the solution. And so the first thing to do, to bring the church together, to bring the Hellenist Christian Jews and to bring the, the Hebrew Christian Jews, and say, guys, come together, and I want you together to find seven of your best leaders, not your average leaders, the cream of the crop. Find your, your very best 
there's thousands of you, find the very best of the thousands of you and bring them to the front. The very best. This is a serious issue and we want the very best people to solve it. And so they found the very best people, full of the spirit, you know, full of wisdom, and they bring them to the front and then the apostles lay hands on them and pray for the anointing of God to be with them, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible said it pleased the community. The Bible says, and suddenly unity was restored. And so the key thing here is that what the apostles did is that they averted disaster within the church by choosing to be intentional about including the minority group. Okay, they were intentional, they were deliberate, blatant, public, and they did it in a way that showed that not only did they care, but God care. This, wasn't, this, is, this, is, this was not going to be a man's operation. This was a God's operation. The fact that they laid hands on them in public was stating, look, this is, this is not something we're doing, this is something that God's doing. God's in this. And when they did that, the Bible said it pleased the community. And unity was restored. See, to be honest, all churches want diversity. But actually, only a few churches do really well. Um, earlier this year, you know, me, my, my, um, my group, the alternative, we, um, we're a bit naughty already. We kind of, we kind of skived off church one Sunday. Um, in, in early, I don't know, it's bad, isn't it? In early February, we skived off church. Basically, they wanted to go to a Pentecostal church. And I said, no, I, for months I promised to take them. And so on one Sunday, I said, no, we're just, I'm going to take you guys to a Pentecostal church. So I took them all across to North London to a Pentecostal church. And, and it was fun. It, there was lots of fun things about it. The worship was, it was very energetic and it was very free and it's very exciting. Um, you know, there were, there were people dancing, I mean, really dancing. I, mean, I don't mean like swaying, I mean dancing. There were, just in front of me, there was a 73-year-old woman, and she was dancing as if there was no tomorrow. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the youth, the youth were dancing. I mean, they, they were really going, it was amazing. Um, the preaching was, was good. But, but you know what, the thing that really struck me about the church, and probably the, the, probably the biggest compliment I could pay that church, was that they made our group, it wasn't many of us, it was about four or five of us that went, um, they made us feel so welcome that we, you almost forgot we were guests. I, 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 I'm not sure I've ever quite experienced that before. I've been to a place where it made me feel so welcome, I felt like a special guest. But I felt so welcome, I almost forgot I was a guest. So my body language changed. So I got in there and I was like, I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a new guest, I'm, I'm, so I'm all prim and proper. I'm, I'm, I'm careful what I say, how I phrase things. I want to you know, give a good impression, etc. By the end of the service, I, I was like this. <laughs> I, I became so comfortable with my own skin. I actually, I, hold on, I'm new. I'm a newbie. I'm just, and the thing is, they knew we were from, we're from Crawley. They knew we weren't going to come back there ever again. But yet they made us feel so welcome. We actually, you know, we kind of forgot that we were just visitors. We kind of just felt like we were kind of being part of this church for years. And this is kind of a thousandth time turning up. And so it's quite, so it is possible, um, but it takes being intentional. It takes, you know, you, you, can't, you, you can't just turn up and make it happen. It doesn't just happen on its own. It, it, it takes a real sense of recognizing the importance of it to God's eyes. 
in God's eyes, and also just making, making intentional stances, being public about it. Uh, I love what Hannah did this morning about praying for the, for, for the Muslims. You know, she's being intentional. She could have just prayed in the corner at the back, but she came to the front and said, no, we're going to pray for Muslims. We want to see a church where Muslims you know, are, are get converted. We want to see a church where, where people from the Arab world meet Jesus. So we're going, to be, we're going to get intentional about it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to pray into it. We're praying because we want God to be involved. We're not going to do it on our own strength. It's going to be a God thing. So, so, so diversity is a, is a God thing. And, and it's something we have to be intentional about. Final point. Remember I mentioned that some scholars, um, you know, they sort of say that the seven, you, know, you probably shouldn't call them deacons. And one of the reasons, and some of this is not really the main point, but it, it is one of the reasons. One of the reasons they say that is because ultimately this, this special task, this special job, that, this assignment they were given, um, you know, to look after the poor, well, the phrase they keep using, it, but it, the job doesn't hold. But they all seem to say the same phrase, it doesn't hold. In other words, they don't follow it through indefinitely. Um, they start it, but, but, but it changes over time. So we know this because, as I say, the seven people, five of them um, I don't know, sort of disappear. There's no mention of them in the Bible again. You know, those are the ones I've already struggled to pronounce. You know, the other two that's easy to pronounce, like Philip and Stephen, that's easy to pronounce, those guys come back again, but they're not caring for the poor. At least they're not explicitly caring for the poor. They probably are doing it, but, it's, but it's, they seem to be preaching now. In fact, the next verse, in verse, you know, in, in verse 8, Stephen's preaching. You know, he, he doesn't even last one verse. He's immediately switched to, to do something else. So something changes. And we, and we don't know why it changes. The Bible doesn't explain what happens. All we know is that these guys were chosen they were anointed to do this particular job, which initially was, it was like a separation of jobs. It's like the, the apostles would preach. These guys would care for the poor. And then by the time you get to verse 8, something has changed. I don't know why it changed. I just know it has changed. Um, so the, the task doesn't hold. And I like it. I like it for two reasons. First, I think, to be honest, I, I have known... Um, church leaders in the past who have in some ways misused um, chapter 6. What I mean is, is that they personally, it's, not their, it's not their thing to care for the poor. It's not, it's not their thing. And so they see chapter 6 as a great way of, sort of you know, almost delegating out to other people who might care for the poor. So, in order, so they, perhaps you guys can care for the poor for me. You, know, you can do it on my behalf so I can spend the next 20 years doing the stuff I really want to do. And and so, which is not quite, I don't think that's the message of the verse, of this passage. It's not an excuse, it's not kind of a, a get out of jail card, so that some of us can care for the poor and others cannot care for the poor. I don't think that's what's going on here, which is why, you know, it doesn't last very long. Um, uh, I, I think, can you imagine doing that with our children? You know, um, Justin, why don't you love my children on my behalf? And that means I can pretty much, I can do, I can do things that I enjoy. I can, I can, I can take up golf, um, all the things I, I can play Fortnite, I can, and all the things I, can, I would love to do, but I can't do because I have to look after my kids. Maybe if you can love them, it just wouldn't work, wouldn't it? It's ludicrous. Um, and actually, you know, caring for the poor and, or, or caring for diversity, which is really what's going on here, it's not something you can delegate indefinitely. To, it's not something that you can wash your hands off. It's a church-wide issue, and ultimately, we all as a church take a share in it.
And so basically, yes, it, it begins with a separation of jobs, but ultimately, the people who care for the poor are the ones that end up preaching. The ones that end up preaching are those that also care for the poor. Yeah, it's, it, 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 you know, we're all in the same fix. We're all in this together. Now, the second reason I like, I like this, the fact that you know, this, this task doesn't hold, as the, as, as the commentators, commentators keep saying, is because, for me, it reminds me of something really important about when it comes to reading the Bible, and, 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 it's, and it's demonstrated in this passage here, that actually, the key thing about the Bible is not always to give us easy answers. The Bible is about giving us wisdom. For me, this is a wisdom text. You know, it, it, it's, it's more of a description than prescription. It describes to us, to some level of detail, what the apostles did to tackling this problem. But it doesn't give us all the detail. And it doesn't explain what happens later. You know, that's, that's just hidden from us. That's just a black box. We have no idea what happened. And so for me, the, the, the point of that is not... It's almost like God doesn't want to give us all the answers. He doesn't want to spoon-feed us on how to make the church a diverse church. He wants us to grow in wisdom and figure it out with his, with his, with his spirit and with his word. Um, some of you know, I'm, you know, I'm actually, actually older than I look. You know, I look 18, I'm actually 26. Um, no one's seen my birth certificate, so I'm sticking to 26. And... Um, I remember when I, was, when I was studying, I remember the, the, the big thing, I'm, I'm into computers, so the, the big thing was Windows came up with this new concept of plug and play. Plug and play. These days, we don't even plug in, we just play. But back in those days, plug and play was the, was the big thing. There's, there's a big phrase, to plug and play. So you plug in a mouse and it would just work. You can play with it. You can plug in a keyboard and, and you can play with it. it, was, it was just, everything was instant, everything was quick, everything was easy. And that was the big, that was the big pull for everything to be plug and play, for everything to be easy. And I think sometimes as, as Christians, we want, we want God to be easy. We want faith to be plug and play. We want faith to be easy. We want the Bible to be easy. Wouldn't it be great if the Bible was just plug and play? You just plug it in and play. Um, and sometimes the Bible can be quite, sometimes the Bible can give us an easy, can be easier than us. But actually, when it comes to a lot of, lot of issues in life, particularly things like diversity, actually, you know, it's about wisdom. God doesn't want us just to have the easy way. He wants us to learn. I love the, you mentioned about, um, you know, about being constantly filled with the Spirit. Um, someone mentioned about the, the, um, the, the, the photo album. The sense that there's, there's more that God wants to do. There isn't a sense that God has done it all for us. And we just have, you know, there's a, there's a sense that God wants us to grow. We're still on the journey, yeah? We're still on the journey. So, so actually, so Scripture is about helping us to continue on that journey. Diversity is a journey. Okay? It's not a plug-and-play thing. It's something you have to grow into. And so the Bible gives us plenty of golden nuggets of wisdom that we can take and make use of, and we should make use of. But some of the details we're going to have to figure out on our own. So let me recap some of the wisdom in this text. Uh, wisdom one, God cares for the, about diversity. Two, diversity is not a given. It doesn't just fall in your lap has to be worked out. Four, we have to be intentional. Four, we need God. Five, we have to, we have to delegate. And we have to include the community. It's not something that some people can do. Ultimately, everyone has to get involved. But the details of how it all works, well, we, that's something, as a church, we sometimes need to figure out. And it might mean 
that as a church we might set up a special task force to tackle some of this stuff, which is what they did in, in this passage. Or it might mean we don't. Or it might mean we might do something for a season, and then as things change, you might do something else for a season. And all of those things are on the table. But the point is, is that God wants us to grow in this area. God wants us to become wise in this area. And, 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 and I guess the, the kind of thing, that the aim of it is that as we do that, A, we will continue to become a diverse church, but also the church will, will continue to thrive. So I guess one of the things I like about this passage, it begins and ends in the same way. It begins by saying that the, the church was growing. And then in, in verse 7, it ends by saying, that, by the way, the church kept growing. The church was grown, they had this crisis, they figured it out, and then the church kept growing. Verse 7, the word of God continued to spread. The numbers of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and, many, and, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The last bit is a bit of an interesting one, the many priests. Um, in Acts, Acts is basically Luke part two, really. In, in Luke and Acts, there's, there's a lot, lot of the focuses on the, the Jewish leaders being a bit negative. Um, they, they kind of posed the gospel quite a lot. Um, that's, that's kind of a big theme in, in Luke and a big theme in Acts. And so suddenly when you hear the priests are coming obedient, there's some, there's a, suddenly there's a change that even, that even those who are normally we're resistant to God's, God's spirit, those who are resistant to the gospel, even they are beginning to, to be transformed. I mean, you could say there's, there's been an increase. There's been, you know, God is up the game a little bit from verse 1 to verse 7. Because they even, not only are the church growing, but even those who are heavily resistant are growing. And that's what happens. You know, as, we, as, we, as, we, as we become a more diverse church, um, there's a real sense that um, it, just, it almost unlocks something. It unlocks something in the spreading of the gospel. And that's one of the things. I think some people, you know, diverse, being a, becoming a diverse church is not simply a kind of nice to have. It's not something. It's not something. You know, it's not something to stick on a website, so to speak. It, it, it's important to God because actually, it's kind of right at the heart of the gospel. It's right at the heart of what God is about. Breaking down boundaries. The, big, you know, the first boundary is is, is 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 us with God. Breaking that down, and then breaking down the boundaries with one another. Let's close in prayer. God, Lord Jesus, I thank you for diversity. I thank you, God, that you created a diverse world where there's all sorts of different people. People of different races, different personalities. You have introverts, you have extroverts. We have, we have people who think one way and people who think slightly different ways. But God, help us to become a diverse church. Not just one in name only, but a real diverse church. Help us to become a church that, that thrives in engaging with people who are different from ourselves. The kind of church when people come into our four walls, they feel so welcome, they almost forget their guests. They feel so embraced, they almost forget that they're guests. God, I, I pray we do not become a FUBU church a church that's for us, by us. I pray we become a church that's for others. A church for, a church for people who are not currently even in the building. 
Help us to grow in this area. And I pray for wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.